Control Workplace Hazards. Section 6. Describe how a workplace safety policy is established. Process. A health and safety program contains the health and safety elements of an organization, objectives that make it possible for the company to achieve its goal, and protection of its workers at the workplace. Part 3 of the Occupational Health and Safety Regulation specifies the minimum requirements to be contained in a health and safety program. Some of the requirements specified in the regulation may not be applicable to every workplace. However, in consultation with the Occupational Health and Safety Committee, employers should carry out their own health and safety risk assessment to determine what hazards are present at the workplace. Once the hazards have been identified, controls for exposure to these hazards should be detailed in the health and safety program. Employers may also be required to establish a joint health and safety committee as per the requirement of the Workers' Compensation Act. The following sections from Part 3, Division 4 of the Act stipulate the requirements of a joint committee. When a committee is required, Section 125. In each workplace where 20 or more workers of the employer are regularly employed and in any other workplace for which a joint committee is required by order. Duties and Function of the Joint Committee, Section 130. A joint committee has the following duties and functions in relation to its workplace. A. To identify situations that may be unhealthy or unsafe for workers and advise on effective systems for responding to these situations. B. To consider and expeditiously deal with complaints relating to the health and safety of workers. C. To consult with workers and the employer on issues related to occupational health and safety and occupational environment. D. To make recommendations to the employer and the workers for the improvement of the occupational health and safety and occupational environment of workers. E to make recommendations to the employer on educational programs promoting the health and safety of workers and compliance with this part in the regulations and to monitor their effectiveness. F, to advise the employer on programs and policies required under the regulations for the workplace and to monitor their effectiveness. G, to advise the employer on proposed changes to the workplace and the work processes that may affect the health or safety of workers. H. To ensure that accident investigations and regular inspections are carried out as required by this part and the regulations. I. To participate in inspections, investigations, and inquiries as provided in this part and the regulations. J. To carry out any other duties and functions prescribed by regulation. Joint Committee Procedure, Section 131. Part 1. Subject to this part and the regulations, a joint committee must establish its own rules of procedure, including rules respecting how to, it is to perform its duties and functions. Part 2. A joint committee must meet regularly at least once each month, unless another schedule is permitted or required by regulation or order. Many companies and industrial operations find that a joint safety and health committee is an excellent means of consultation within their organization. Safety committees are helpful in assigning group and individual responsibilities, 
in promoting positive attitudes towards safety, and in improving techniques for accident prevention. Committee members gain valuable knowledge and understanding through the exchange of information at meetings. When appropriate, set aside part of the meeting for education, invite members, suppliers, and professionals from outside organizations to discuss equipment and materials that relate to safety. Send members to seminars and ask them to report what they have learned. Invite management to address the committee. Additionally, there is a need to educate new members in the work of the committee and in meeting procedures. To educate other workers, it is important for committee members to set an example by working safely. Committees. As stated earlier, an employer is responsible for setting up a health and safety program. As part of the program, a health and safety committee must be established. The committee has the following responsibilities. Assisting in creating a safe place to work. Recommending actions that will improve the effectiveness of the health and safety program. Promoting enforcement of regulations. This committee shall generally have at least four members who are experienced in the workplace. The structure of the committee is outlined in the Occupational Health and Safety Regulation, and provisions are made for varying the selection of members according to the special needs of the organization. The membership of the committee must represent both employers and workers. It should encourage enthusiasm and collaboration and promote efficiency through continuity. Employee orientation. All workers should go through an orientation session the first time they come on each job site. If the job site hazards change, a further orientation is required. Orientations and safety training must be documented. Job safety analysis. A job safety analysis, or JSA, is a practical safety procedure that focuses on job tasks. The JSA enables workers to identify hazards associated with a job and develop safe work practices and procedures that will reduce or eliminate those risks. The act of creating a JSA encourages workers to be alert and work safely. It is a valuable tool for training new workers to perform a task safely and effectively. There are three stages in performing a job safety analysis. Stage one, identify the job steps. Stage two, identify the potential hazards associated with each of the steps. Stage three, determine preventative measures for each of the hazards. Stage one, identify the job steps. Once a job has been chosen for a job safety analysis, it should then be broken down into a series of smaller steps. Each step is a part of the job that is necessary and steps should be listed in the same order that they are performed on the job. One way to identify the steps of a job is to observe an experienced worker perform that job in the same environment. Another is to gather input from other workers who have performed that same job. This sequence of steps will become the basis of a safe work plan. It is important not to oversimplify, but at the same time you should not be too specific or you'll end up with too many steps on the job. A rule of thumb is that most jobs can be broken into 10 steps or less. If a job cannot be limited to 10 steps, it may be necessary to break it down into more than one job, each with its own JSA. Stage two, identify the potential job hazards. Once you have recorded the basic job steps, you must next identify any hazards associated with each step. 
you can determine the hazards using observation and your personal experience. Therefore, this stage requires a walkthrough survey of the work area. In addition to noting the basic layout of the workplace and reviewing any history of occupational illnesses or injuries, things to look for during the walkthrough survey include sources of electricity, sources of loud noise, sources of motion, such as machines or processes where movement may exist that could result in an impact between personnel and equipment, sources of high temperatures that could result in burns, eye injuries, or fire, types of chemicals used in the workplace, sources of harmful dusts, sources of light radiation such as welding, brazing, cutting, furnaces, heat treating, high-intensity lights, etc., the potential for falling or dropping objects, sharp objects that could poke, cut, stab, or puncture, biohazards such as blood or other potentially infected material. This information will enable you to develop a list of potential hazards in the following basic hazard categories. Impact, penetration, compression or rollover, chemical, heat or cold, harmful, dust, light or optical radiation, and biological. Your goal is to determine the worst-case scenario, consider potential consequences, and identify how these consequences may change over time. Stage 3. Determine the preventative measures for each of the hazards. When Stage 2 is complete, the employer should, be, or should organize and analyze the data so that it may be efficiently used in determining the proper types of controls or preventative measures that are required to reduce or eliminate the potential hazards. PPE is the last line of defense in protecting workers from hazards in the workplace. Before requiring workers to wear PPE to protect them from a specific hazard, the worker and employer must try to eliminate the hazard or reduce it as much as possible. The following controls, in order from most to least effective, must be considered first. 1. Elimination. Can the hazard be eliminated from the workplace completely? Example, perform a critical lift at night when other workers are not present. 2. Substitution. Can the hazard be replaced with something non-hazardous or less hazardous? Example, replace a noisy machine with a quiet one. Use safer chemicals. 3. Engineering. Can the physical work environment be changed to control the risk? For example, enclose a piece of equipment to contain contaminants or isolate the noise source. 4. Administrative. Can changes be made to the work activities to make them safer? Example, reduce the time workers are exposed to a, high, to a hazard by rotating them on to another task. 5. PPE. When can PPE be used to protect workers? If elimination, substitution, engineering, and administrative controls do not effectively control the hazard, PPE may be necessary either alone or in addition to other measures, to help protect workers. Remember, PPE is the last line of defense and is not the most effective safety measure because it places only a barrier between the worker and the hazard. The hazard still exists, so if the right PPE is not worn properly or when it is needed or the PPE fails, for example, gloves leak, the worker is not protected. Be as specific as you can with the recommended procedures. Use statements that describe both what action is to be taken and how it is to be performed. For example, stand to the right side of the service box. 
Examine the sample JSA in Figure 1 to see what job steps are necessary to replace a fluorescent light ballast, the associated hazards, and what preventative measures need to be taken. Note that the preventative measures are positioned to match the possible hazard and job steps. A job sa safety analysis can help reduce accidents and injuries in the workplace, but only if the information is passed on to all the workers who will be performing the job. After the JSA is complete, the workers who will perform the task should discuss the hazard and controls listed. Workers should ensure that all safety equipment and PPE that are required by the JSA are available. Remember, it is important to ensure that all the basic steps that have been noted are in the correct order and suitable preventative measures are in place. The job foreman or supervisor will ensure that workers understand what they are required to do and the reasons for the preventative measures. Each JSA will need to be reviewed and updated whenever new equipment, materials, or processes are introduced and after coffee or lunch breaks. Even if no changes have been made, new hazards may be discovered that were previously overlooked. If an injury or illness occurs, the JSA should be reviewed immediately and reassessed to prevent further accidents. Job Site Safety Meetings Safety meetings, or toolbox talks, are a hands-on way to remind workers that health and safety are important on the job. The objective is to help workers recognize and control hazards at the worksite. These meetings are a good opportunity to get input on JSAs. The meeting should be focused on the site and work conditions. The meeting should take place on the site or near the tools and equipment you are talking about. The subject should clearly let workers know exactly what are you going to talk about and why it's important. Hazards should be pinpointed and the discussion should include what may happen if proper safety is not followed and how to control or prevent these hazards. Wherever possible, key points should be demonstrated using real tools, equipment, and materials. In some cases, you could be asked to demonstrate what you have learned. Each meeting should take about 5 to 10 minutes if held daily or weekly. Reporting accidents. All accidents must be reported. Report the accident to the shop staff and then to the first aid attendant to ensure coverage in case workers' compensation benefits are available. First aid attendant will record all injuries in a log and complete the necessary WCB forms. Investigations. As a safety precaution, all accidents should be investigated whether there was an injury or not. This way, appropriate changes in the work procedure can be identified if needed. WorkSafe BC safety officers will investigate accidents of a serious nature. First aid. Every job site requires a minimum level of first aid to be available. The requirements are based on the hazard level, surface travel time to a hospital, and the size of the workforce on the site. Because of these variables, the level of first aid requirements may differ from site to site. Modern industrial settings and all BC training institutions are equipped with a first aid station with a trained attendant. The person who staffs that station is able to perform a wide variety of services, from bandaging minor cuts to stopping major bleeding and splinting broken bones. Find out where the first station is, who staffs it, and what services are available. If you sustain an injury, no matter how minor, ensure that the incident is reported in the first aid station log. Minor problems often develop into major problems 
To ensure the WCB will cover you, report all injuries promptly. Hearing. A workplace safety program should include a hearing protection program. This should include noise measurement, education and training, engineering noise control, hearing protection, posting of nose noise hazards, annual hearing tests, and annual program review. Job task permits. Some tasks on the worksite are identified as being hazardous enough to require special permits that ensure all safety precautions have been taken. Examples of these tasks include hot work, confined space work, and lockout procedures. Hot work permits. Special considerations must be made when doing hot work. Hot work is simply any process or temporary work done that could result in a fire. Jobs that require cutting, grinding, drilling, or welding of metals are all examples of hot work. Before starting any hot work, it is best to determine whether the job can be done in a different way so as to avoid the risk of fire altogether. If there is no alternative to doing the hot work, then you will need to obtain a hot work permit from the job site's health and safety officer or foreman. Complete the permit, follow the precautions on the permit, and post the permit in the work area. Confined space permit. A confined space entry permit is required and is used to make everyone aware of work that will take place in a confined space. A written procedure must be carried out to assess the risk for working in a confined space by identifying the hazards present and to determine what precautions must be taken. The assessment must include information on the task, working environment, working materials, tools required, the qualifications of the person doing the work, the emergency rescue plan. The permit must bear the supervisor's name and must be posted at the entrance to the confined space. Other information required on the permit includes the type of work activity, names of the workers who are in the confined space, what control measures or precautions were in place prior to entry and while workers were inside, when the permit expires. Lockout. The workplace safety program must ensure that lockout procedures are established and complied with. The next learning task covers lockout procedures in detail.